We're in the last Sunday, or at least the last part of this conversation, in a, in a series called Gods, okay? Gods. And here are the theme verses, okay? Just so you get an idea what this whole series is about. Here are the, here are the theme verses uh, that we use. There's one in Romans, one in Acts. This is both Paul writing the church. Um, I can't even read that. I don't know if we can change the background on that. I think you can just clear the background, maybe. I might read up there. There we go. I can, I can read that. There you go. Oh, the depth. Oh, there you go. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Basically, just meaning you can't really try to figure out and justify why, he's, why he does what he does. And his paths are beyond tracing out, meaning you can't really uh, predict where he's going to go next. And then it goes on to say, who has known the mind of the Lord, who has ever been his counselor? Most of us try to be in our prayer time. We tell God, listen, I, I'm not, listen, I totally, you're God. But if I were you, right? Anybody ever had that in a prayer time? If I were you, here's what I would do, right? It says, who has ever given to God that God should repay them? As if, as if God is in some sort of debt to us right? Because of our service or our affection or our prayers or our worship that somehow, you know, we, 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 he, has, he has to repay us. No, that's not the case. Why? For from him, actually, we're going to read these out loud. Just read the, the stuff in yellow. You ready? So for from him, ready? Say it again. For from him and through him and for him are what? All things, right? From him, comes from him, through him, meaning it functions through him, and it's for him, are all things. Here's the next verse. This is in Acts 17. This is Paul talking to the, to the, to the, to the Athens, and he's, the folks in Athens, he says, um, he's talking to them about the unknown God they don't know, and he says, look, he's the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in your man-made temples, because they had tons of altars and temples and ways to try to make sure they were worshiping the right gods. And it says, and human heads can't serve his needs, for he has, what's the words? No needs, right? Matter of fact, he himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. So this series, our goal was to kind of, kind of flip the script, if you will, of how people talk about giving, money, uh, generosity, those kind of things, the way the churches are kind of known to talk about it, and at least the way a lot of times it's received, as if God needs something from you, okay? As if like you have the special, you know, the special thing and God needs you to give it, or, or stuff's just not going to happen. That's not actually the way it works. All right, so the theme of this, or at least the reason for the series, is the fact that we want to make sure you know God needs nothing from us. He satisfies every need, but he does desire the best for us. He does have something for you in some of the uh, ideals and instructions that he commands us. And if you can believe this, if you can start there, you have a basic foundation for being able to understand how everything is God's. This is the first, on the first week we talked about this, I'm going to give you a quick recap. Everything we have is God's and therefore everything we have is ours to manage and steward and enjoy as we bless others. That there's a purpose 
on why we've been blessed. This is a purpose you were born here, you know, moved here and live here and thrive here. It's to be able to manage, not own, but steward. You got to go back to week one and listen to that message. And how we get to enjoy those things, even while we are called to the purpose of blessing others. Pastor Don last week talked about some of the steps and the plan of God to kind of make that happen in terms of generosity, in terms of giving. I can't recap it all for you. He knocked it out of the park. You need to go back and listen to last week. But here's what he, he dropped it on us last week, just in terms of a challenge. Pray and ask God how much he wants you to give. And he doesn't need anything from you, so this isn't kind of a paying a bill situation. But then start doing it, right? Test God. Start giving. As a matter of fact, uh, we, you know, we say test God because it's the one thing in Scripture he told us to test him about. So a lot of times when we do series like this, and we'll do it this time too, we'll oftentimes offer like a 90-day giving challenge, right? So if you don't give consistently and you want to start giving consistently, we basically tell you that from this point forward, 90 days, if you begin to give consistently, or let's say you do give, but you've never tithed before, you've never given a tenth of your, of your, of your resources back to God. If you want to start tithing, if you're already a giver and you want to start tithing, our goal is for you to take a step and to test God. And if you in 90 days do not see God show up in some way in your finances, we will write the check back to you. We'll say, man, that might be thousands of dollars. Yeah, I know. No, I've, I'm, I promise you, my advisory team's on board with this decision. I'm just telling you that we, we don't need your money, okay? We don't need anything from you that's not given to God. So we'll be happy to write that check back. And that's a good challenge. Why? Why do we say it with such confidence? Because God said to test him. And again, you have to go back and listen to Pastor Donnie's message. Test him. This is the heart last week that I really loved, is give God the opportunity to be glorified by your generosity. Everybody needs to have their own story. Everybody needs to have their own moments, right? Where God, you can't explain it, but God showed up, right? You, you began to do things God's way, and God showed up, and God did something that only God could do. And we need, we need you to have that story. You can listen to my story or Pastor Donnie's story or some other people's story, and you can go, man, that's great. But you need to have your own story. So what is it going to look like for you to give God an opportunity, right? Give God the opportunity to be glorified through your generosity. Today, I'm going to talk about God's provision. This is where we're diving in today. In terms of understanding God's provision in our life. I'm going to look at Matthew 6, if you want to open up your Bible or turn to it on your phone. Uh, we're going to be looking at several sections in Matthew 6 today. This is uh, the Sermon on the Mount, um, and this is after the Beatitudes and after some of the ways in which he's taught us to pray and taught us to do some things. He kind of dives into sort of this everyday life uh, kind of understanding of things, all right? So it's no longer, it's not just talking about theory and religious law, which is what he spent most of the time doing in 5 and the beginning of 6. He kind of goes into this, this idea of how we live. So it starts in verse 19 here. Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths are going to eat them and rust destroys them, or where thieves break in and steal. Now, I just want you to see this list. This is not just money. It's talking about treasure, talking about things of value. 
right? Don't, don't try to hoard or store up or try to accumulate all these things that moths eat, rust destroys, or people can take from you, okay? He goes on to say, store your treasures, again, the things that value, in heaven where moths cannot, moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. And it says, for where your treasure is, their desire, there the desires of your heart will be. Now, this verse is, you've probably heard this before, but this is a verse that just kind of like, kind of has this circle, right? The things that you value most is what you're going to put the most resource and value behind, right? That's kind of what it's saying. And the things that you put the most resource and value behind are the things that you tend to value the most. So he says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And this is where he sort of flips the script. He says, look, no one can serve two masters, And he only gives two choices here. You're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to be devoted, wholehearted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Okay, now I want you to notice this is not painting a spiritual battle of God versus the devil, okay, which is so oftentimes the way we like to picture sort of what's at at war, what's what's sort of the conflict in our lives. Well, it's it's the good guys versus the bad guys. No, this is Jesus saying, well, when it comes to how you and I live every day, I'm telling you there's two masters in your life. There's God and everything that comes around the priorities in God with God, or there's money. And you would say, well, Matt, it's not money for me. Money's never been the, the thing for me, but I want you to hear this, that it doesn't really matter if it's your job, if it's your kids, if it's your financial future, if it's your comfort, if it's your safety, if it's your health, it doesn't really matter what you would say it is. It's all going to have a root. It's all going to tie back to money, even if it's just you, yourself, and in terms of the most important thing. I love this quote. I've used this before uh, from a book called How to Be Rich. I love this because it says, everyone's at risk of making money their ultimate pursuit or their ultimate concern. Just hear that. Ultimate pursuit, meaning it's, it's what drives you. It's what, you know, it's success. It's, it's victory. It's, 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 you know, it could be greed, but it, you know, it's all, it could even be the positive things. Financial security. It's the ultimate thing that drives you or it's the ultimate thing you worry about. It's the ultimate thing you're concerned about. It's the ultimate thing that you fret about. But it doesn't matter which one it is because it then makes it your ultimate. It becomes the priority, the most important thing. So what I want to do just for the next few minutes is just use some phrases and and two categories that I hope help. And that's the understanding of our economy and God's economy. Okay. In terms of understanding God's provision, we have to kind of get into our economy versus God's economy. And this this is a very timely uh, message. You know, everybody's talking about our economy right now, right? This This is what's happening in our world today as we speak. The first thing I'm going to have you notice about our economy is there is something that's always there, which is uncertainty. When you start looking at our economy, there's always an element and elements that are uncertain, unclear. And yet, for our economy, what always seems to follow uncertainty or is produced by uncertainty is, what's the word? Fear. Okay? Put your own word in there. Worry, concern, anxiety. You know, they're all the same thing. It's fear. Right? 
Right now, uncertainty is all around us, right? Especially with what's happening in the world, what's happening with the invasion in Ukraine and our inflation in, our, in the West and, you know, everything from COVID to supply chains to gas prices to everything else. There is so much uncertainty now. But you got to remember, even when, quote unquote, there were the good times, there was still uncertainty then. Don't you guys remember all the, the podcasts and the news about when the bubble was going to burst, you know? All the things, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, it doesn't matter if it's good times or bad. There's always, in our economy, there's always an element or elements of uncertainty. And that causes and drives fear. So that's no wonder that's what the news is filled with. Doesn't matter your political leaning left or right or what station you watch. Both sides use this to their advantage to cause fear and panic. Then you have all the self-proclaimed, you know, couch experts on social media telling you all the ways in which they could solve it, and yet they have nothing, no way to solve it. This is part of our economy, which has no choice but to be rooted and driven by fear. Why? Because this is how Jesus said it was made to be. This is how we were going to live out these lives. If we had our trust in, if, because it, depending on who your trust was in or what your trust was in, if you're trusting in money and all the things that have a root back to that, or you're going to trust in God. It's going to be your economy, our economy, or God's economy. So later on in Matthew 6, he explains, he goes on to talk about what those things look like. Now, I'm not going to read all the verses because Pastor Don read them out of Luke's um, uh, account last week. But he goes on to talk about simple things like, why do you worry about everyday life? You know, why do you worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear? And, you know, like, why does that fill you with concern? Right? He goes on to talk about the birds, the sparrows. Like, you know, you can buy three for a penny, you know? And yet God takes care of them. Does he not take care of you? He even goes on to say, how much, how much more to your life can you add by the fear and concern and the worry over those things. You can't add a single day to your life. Then he goes on to talk about the lily lilies of the field that are here today and gone tomorrow and how beautiful they are. And he's like, don't you think God will clothe you? And here's how he wraps this up. And this is in Matthew's account. He says, don't worry about these things. Okay, what? What to eat, what to drink, what we're going to wear. The things, these things, right, they dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Okay, this is going back to this idea of our economy. They dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. There's no choice but to fear. But your heavenly father already knows all your needs. And again, this is where Jesus kind of turns the tide, turns the page. There's something different that you, 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 talking about the followers of God and followers of Jesus, is something different about you. God already knows your needs. Keep going. So seek the kingdom of God above all else. You might have read that in the passage that says, seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. So there, if our economy looks at the uncertainty and has no choice but to be fearful, no choice but to be concerned, no choice but to worry, no choice but anxiety, then you see here Jesus saying, well, in God's economy, even when things are uncertain, right? Uncertainty is actually going to reveal your priorities. When you have uncertainty, because sometimes uncertainty is just uncertainty. 
But when things get this way, you have a heavenly father that already knows what you need. And it begins to reveal your priorities. Who are you, who or what are you putting your trust in? Is it in the, in what riches provide? Or is it in the one who richly provides? And it's not just money. Understand that. It's not just money. It could be, it could be anything that God wants to provide for you and for me. Because our economy is going to always come from the root of fear. So, so I really do believe that when it comes to priorities, that uncertainty drives us towards what is certain in our life. Now, sometimes fear will make it look like you're doing that, but it, makes you, it drives you towards what you can control. Okay, so hear those words. Fear will always drive you to what you can control, but you'll feel like it's certain because you feel like you can still control it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the uncertainty that when you put him above all things, when you seek the kingdom of God first above all things, that it drives you to certainty. That the, the things that I know and I'm certain of is the love of God, my salvation. The things I know and I'm certain about is how much God cares for me and is willing to provide for me. If I continue to keep my priorities along with his priorities. Like, like this is the way in which provision is going to show up. And it's not just the stories. I mean, I, we've got them, you know, where it's, you know, there's a $120 car repair that you don't have. And somebody shows up and gives you some money or you get a refund on something. And it's $120. It's the exact amount of money. We have those stories. We have stories of people who wanted to go on mission trips and didn't know how they were going to raise, you know, what was, what was Kenya? $4,000, $4,000, $500 deposit. They show up to work the next day and they've committed to doing it. And they show up to work the next day and, a, and their boss says, look, there's a bonus check. We didn't even know we were going to get. And it's the exact amount of money you need for your deposit. Like we have those stories. But I don't want you to just get lost with money. So one great example that happened last week, I, got, I couldn't wait to share this with you. I mean, I, she didn't even realize how... how how the timing of this fell into place. But one of our new, new to journey uh, partners, she's a paramedic and so she works every weekend. She's part of, uh, part of the system here in Charlotte and, um, in Mecklenburg County. She works every weekend and she's a paramedic. You need good paramedics out there on the weekend. I'm happy they're there, right? But they were so, I, you know, she couldn't come to church on Sundays and their, church, their family just found this church. She was trying to come to the gathering and wanted to get into small groups. And so, you know, she was really excited talking to my wife about small groups that were starting. And, but then I saw her last Sunday and I said, man, it's so great to see you. I assumed she called in sick or, you know, you know what we do, right? And she said, no, I got to tell you. She said, I was, we just were so excited about getting involved here. She said, I finally told and wrote my boss and said, listen, I just need to have a few Sundays off. I just need to have some Sundays off because we want to get plugged into our church and we want to get engaged here. And she said that when she finally heard back, she now has two Sundays off a month to come to church with her family. Isn't that awesome? Okay, that's not a bonus check, but that's God's provision. That is God providing in his economy in a way that just doesn't happen in our economy. Because our economy is always going to be driven by the fear of losing or the fear of missing out. Versus God's economy is going to be saying, listen, when you put the right things first, 
It's not that these other things don't matter, but they will all fall into place. They will all happen. I want to show you a little bit more about this in terms of just uh, priorities. This is two Old Testament examples, all right? Because I want you to hear this. This has been God's plan, this whole our economy versus God's economy. This has been God's plan for centuries, not just new. It's not just a new Western thing. It's, been, it's centuries old in terms of following God's way versus following our way. This is from uh, Haggai. It says, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says to the people of God. It says, the people are saying, the people, the people in Israel are saying, uh, you know, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They were, they were allowed to go back into their country, into their homeland. The Solomon's temple had been torn down. God had said, use the resources that were there to rebuild the temple. But the people have said, you know, it's not time yet. It's really not time yet. And so the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. He said, hey, listen, why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? God is just pointing out through the prophet like, that's a swanky place you have. That's pretty new. Why is my house, the one you were charged to come back and build, why is it lying in ruins? And he goes on. He says, this is what the Lord of the heavens army says. Look at what's happening to you. And he begins to point things out. You have planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. Keep going. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Your wages disappear as if they were being put, putting them in pockets filled with holes. This is the prophet just pointing it out. It says, you hoped for rich harvest, or harvest, but they were poor. And when you brought your harvest home, I blew it away. This is God through the prophet. I blew it away. Why? Because my house lies in ruins, says the Lord of heaven army, while you are busy building your own fine houses. Hear the words. It's not about the temple. It's, not, it's about priorities. You had a mission. You had work. that we, I told you what to do. You changed your priorities. And now this is the, the consequence. This is what you have been experiencing. And they would have all been like, yeah, it's been really, you know, it sucks. You know, don't you hate the idea of putting, putting money in pockets with holes in them? And that's what even they were experiencing. Keep going. Listen, it's because of you that the heavens withhold the dew of the earth and produce no crops. The message pair, I love the message paraphrase here. It's, it says, God says, I have matched your stinginess. That's what the message paraphrase says. I have matched your stinginess. It's because of you that you don't receive what is there. And it goes on to say, I've called for a drought in your fields and hills, a drought to wither the grains and grapes, the olive trees and your other crops, a drought to starve you and your livestock and to ruin everything you have worked so hard to get. Why? Because they're priorities. And yet, listen, when we are so fixed on, by fear, our economy, that's all we see. You know, we just live with this life of like, you just get what you get. You know, you get what you get, and you get what you get, and I'll get what I get, and so-and-so gets what they get. And the worst part about that is that pretty much all of us are just focused on what we think we deserve. And I know you don't deserve what you get. 
I know that. And I never seem to get what I think I deserve. Because again, it's all about our priorities. It's what we're putting our trust in. And we, I'm talking about us, spend our lives investing and seeing very little profit come our way. Very little harvest. We drink, but we're, not, we're still thirsty. We eat, but we're never satisfied. We buy our clothes. They only last a little while. We got to keep buying more. Guys, this is the American life. This is normal. Okay, normal. Yet that's our economy. It's just not what God planned. It's not what he planned for his people. It's not how we were supposed to operate. So here's another Old Testament story where God's people were doing the same thing. They had, their priorities were shot. They, they, were, they, were, they were not following God's plan. And the king came and had the high priest come and read from the word of God. Hey, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what this looks like. He actually talked through again. What does it look like to, to give to God? What does it look like to give back to God and to work within the system that he created? This is in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. So when the people of Israel had heard their requirements, okay, these were, this is now, okay, oh, this is what God wants us to do. They responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain and their new olive and their uh, new wine and olive oil and honey and all the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe, right? That goes back to that, that word, the tenth of all they produced, their first fruits and their tenth. The people who had moved to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah themselves, they brought tithes of their cattle and sheep and goats and the tithes of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord, their God. And they, they piled them up in great heaps. They began piling them up in late spring and the heaps continued to grow. I love the word heaps, by the way. Heaps continued to grow until early autumn. Now watch this. When Hezekiah and his officials, the king, came back and saw the huge piles, these heaps, they thanked the Lord and his people Israel. And he says, where did, you, where did all this come from? Hezekiah asked the priests and Levites. It's like, what in the world? This is so different than what we had seen before. So Azariah, the high priest from the family of Zadok, replied. He said, listen, since the people began bringing their gifts to the Lord's temple, again, God's plan, we have had enough to eat, and plenty to spare. The Lord has blessed his people. <laughs> and all of this, okay, just picture it. Everything that you're seeing is just what's left over. Like, you're excited about the heaps and the huge piles. And the priest said, yeah, but we've already had enough. We've already, we've already had all we need, and we had plenty left over to share. And what you're seeing is just the extra. What you're praising God for is just the extra that he's provided. God's economy, right? God's economy really is a blessed one. And now, if you haven't been around Journey for a while, we, just make sure you hear us. We define that, okay? We define it very clearly what blessed means. It means enough and plenty, very much the way the scriptures say it. Blessed is enough and plenty, period. It's been that way for generations. It's this way across the world, enough and plenty. 
and it's God's math. Just don't, just don't miss that, right? It's God's math. It doesn't really work well in your Excel spreadsheet, although you can try, all right? We had enough and plenty, they said. Now, the problem is, is that when people see, people see the world, and they see people in poverty, and they see people struggling, and so they have a very hard time kind of reconciling, well, how could God be, be meeting these needs enough and plenty when there's no way you can call that enough? Now, here's the problem. Number one, we have a very skewed Western version of what we think is enough, okay? We, have a very, like, we already come in with a bias that doesn't help us at all, okay? Because our view of what's enough simply isn't the way it is around the world. Our view of wealth is not what it is around the world. Some of the wealthiest people I know do not live in the States. Great example is uh, my brother David Lamiso in Kenya. Hopefully he watches this later. Guys, he's the wealthiest, one of the wealthiest people I know. Okay? Why? Because he is blessed and he is rich in all the things that matter. He is rich in all the ways that matter. And he would be the first to tell you that he's blessed. Am I right, Lauren Jace? Be the first to tell you. You know what else he would say? I have enough. And not only does he have enough because he trusts God to provide, he is always one that is ready to share, always ready to give away because he lives and functions in God's economy. It's not compared to me. It's not compared to me in the States. And the second thing I would say about it is that when we see huge needs, when we see poverty, when we see injustice that we could solve, I don't immediately go and blame God because God's not helping these people. No, God helped these people by giving you and me the resources to do it. We're the ones who have failed. We're the ones who do not tithe. I think I shared that with you last year, the year before, that just the statistics alone, that if everyone who called themselves a follower of Christ would give a tenth of their resources to the church, the church, the church of Jesus Christ in the world, could eradicate hunger, give clean water to everyone, and, and eradicate homelessness in less than five years. And that's called math, because we have the numbers to do it. Everybody with me? So whose fault is it? Is it God's fault that Haitians are so poor? Or is it our fault? Because when we live in our economy, guys, we never have enough. We never, ever have enough. We never have what we think we deserve. I look back at that Haggai passage, and when he says, I've matched your stinginess, I fear for that in my life. Like, I don't want to come to the end of my life, and God looks at me and says, Matt, so much more could have been done, and so much more could have been done through you, but you were so stingy with your time, you were so stingy with your money, you were so stingy with your, your affection, oh, you were the pastor, blah. There's so much more that could have been done through you. But I matched your stinginess. I don't want that to be my story. I don't want that to be any of our story. This is the difference between God's economy and our economy. One driven by fear, 
versus one that reveals our priorities. One that just settles for, you know, you're going to get what you're going to get, but it's never going to be enough. It's never going to be what you deserve versus living in the way you are called to live right now and understanding how blessed you really are because you already have enough. You already have plenty to share. Here's how Paul challenged the church in Corinth. He said this, you got to remember, this is the system God created, that a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. This is similar to what Don was teaching last week. you got to be certain and decide in your heart how much to give. You don't give reluctantly, right, or in response to pressure. That's why we don't try to heavy hand, you know, uh, manipulate you into giving. And tell you a nice sad song and then call the band up and then pass the plate around. Everybody been to a church like that? Right? Like I get it, right? But it's so short-sighted. Try to twist your arm into giving 10 extra bucks. I want you to give your life to Jesus. I want you to surrender everything you have and understand that everything belongs to God. That we get to give to him. We get to respond to him this way. God loves a person. That's why he loves a person who's a cheerful giver, because we get to. And God will generously provide all you need. You will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Doesn't that sound like the Old Testament verse? Doesn't that sound awful light, lot like enough and plenty? Yeah, because it's been that way for centuries. So the question I'm leaving you with today, here's the question. Do we trust in what riches provide, or are we going to trust in the one who richly provides? And the answer to this question is going to dictate what economy you live in and how things just work out for you. You're going to get what you're going to get, or you're going to be blessed. You're going to be driven by fear, fear of losing, fear of not getting, fear of missing out, or you're going to understand the priorities that God's given you in your life. I wish we all understood to a certain degree how rich and blessed we already are. I want <clears throat> to share this kind of as we close. I have a song that's in my car right now and in my office. It's on repeat. I mean, I just listen to it all the time. You guys ever have songs like that that just, just kind of get you and you just let them run? You just let them run their course, right? It's not a brand new song, but it's called Gyra. And it comes from... Uh, the, the name for God, Jehovah Jireh, which Jehovah, talking about God, but Jireh added to that is because the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh is our provider, right? This is coming from Abraham in terms of how he talked about God providing the ram to take the place of his son's sacrifice. This is where this word, the root of this word comes but there's nothing that God sees in our, in our lives that our need that he doesn't know what to provide for us if we would just live in his economy, if we would live with the right priorities. So here's what I want to do. I've pulled a few of the lyrics from the song, and I promise you, if you want the verses, I'll give them to you. But I've decided I want to do this like a benediction, okay? So I want everybody to stand up with me. You're going to have to sit back down for all the you know, closing stuff, but just bear with me, okay? Don't bolt. 
I just want you to stand up. We don't normally do this. Usually I end in prayer and things like that. But in benediction is where we read scripture over you. We bless you. That's part of what a benediction is. And so just to help all the people who aren't Presbyterian or Methodist in the room, um, how you receive a benediction is you just hold your hands open like this. Okay? Just hold your hands open like this. It's just a posture. It's a posture to receive the word of God. There are about four scriptures in the lyrics that I'm going to read to you from this song that have just been surrounding me. And I'm going to use this as we close our time out together. Jaira, you are enough. Jehovah Jaira, you are enough. So I will be content in every circumstance because Jaira, you are enough. If he dresses the lilies with beauty and splendor, how much more will he clothe you? If he watches over every sparrow, how much more does he love you? Well, more than you could ask, think or imagine, according to his power working in us, Jehovah Jireh, You are forever enough, always enough, and more than enough. Amen.